All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. These are the words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes 1, 7-8. Never satisfied, never full, just hungry. In 1943, American psychologist Abraham Maslow, uh, he introduced his model of the hierarchy of needs. Many of you probably learned this. Um, but the, the idea was it's, it's trying to understand human motivation. What is it that drives us forward? Why do we continue um, and seek to advance? Um, it starts with kind of, you imagine this pyramid on the, on the bottom, the base, the, the largest are these physiological needs that we all have, things like food, water, warmth, rest. Um, and then you go up from that to things like safety, and you continue into love and belonging and esteem and self-actualization. And the idea is that as you would mature, you would have different types of needs, that you provide for these base needs necessarily so that you can get to these more advanced needs. And we're hoping to do that. And that is supposed to be why we are motivated. Um, but there's so much to this idea of uh, motivation and, and what it is that we're seeking um, but you consider all these things, and you just have to ask, like, what's the finish line, though? What does, it like to, what does it look like to arrive? When is it enough? Is it ever enough? Or are we just perpetually trying to push forward? Uh, John Rockefeller, uh, the first billionaire of the United States of America, also at one point was the wealthiest man in the world during his lifetime. Uh, he was famously asked by a reporter, how much money is enough? And do you recall his response? Again, richest man in the world, first billionaire in the United States of America. How much money is enough? And he says, just a little more. Just a little more. Because all the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. Are you hungry? And I'm not just talking about food. Do you want more? And what will actually satisfy? What is it that we are looking for? What do we want more of? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 13 as we continue a series that is about seeing. Um, seeing and actually perceiving or hearing, but actually listening. And so we're looking at these parables of Jesus as recorded in Matthew's gospel. And so we're looking at the way that Jesus would use kind of a short narrative to illustrate a spiritual truth. And as we continue, we come to verse 44 in chapter 13. Uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, asking the question, what are you looking for? Hear Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. So Jesus tells this story. There's a guy, and we, we don't, that's, that's what we get. We don't get any more details. And so your imagination should run wild. Like if you get a compelling story in short form, what makes it so compelling often is the fact that like your mind has to fill in the gaps. So we don't know, but like there's a guy digging in a field. Is he a hired worker? Is he doing someone a favor? We don't know, but for some reason, this guy is out doing back-breaking work of digging a hole in a field. And so he's in the field. He does not own the field, but as he's digging, you just imagine that moment. If you've ever dug a big hole or even a small hole, you know, like, this is not a fun task. Digging in, picking up, throwing that sand dirt, whatever it is, throwing it to the side, digging more, digging more, and all of a sudden, as he goes in to take the next spades full of dirt, 
something hard. And I, what is that? I hope it's not another rock. I've already gone through four rocks today. But digs around it. It's a chest. Some kind of little box. What is this? Why, why is this in the ground? Who put this here? He pulls it out and he opens it up. <gasps> like Indiana Jones, like it's shimmering and shining, the lights emanating from it. Like, what is this? It's full of gemstones. It's full of gold coins, whatever it is. But there's treasure inside of it. This guy has gone from digging a hole in this monotonous work, the sun's baking him, all this stuff, to here's treasure. I found treasure. How much treasure? It's enough that he looks around and says, this isn't mine. This box is not mine. It belongs to whoever owns all of this. And this is not mine. And so what does he do? Buries it back. And he walks away from that field. I want that treasure. And he wants it so bad that he goes and he sells everything he has. How crazy. If your spouse comes home one day and they're all excited about something like, Hey, 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 pack it up. Pack it up. Where are we going? I don't know, but pack it up. Why? Because we're selling it all. What? We're going to have something so much better. But you go through and you sell every single possession you have. Like, imagine this in your life. If you go home because you're convinced you need something you don't have so much so that every single item you own, you put it up for sale. Like you imagine that you make all these plans like you're supposed to at least. Like if there's a fire, how do we get out of it? Where do we go? What's our rally point? Like what are you grabbing before we exit? Are you grabbing anything? Like if you can only save one thing, what do you save? Like what's that item for you? You're going to sell it. And not just it, everything. You are going to own absolutely nothing. You're going to sell everything you have. And you take all the proceeds from everything you sold. Now you have nothing in this world. There is nothing that you own. But you've got some cash from everything you sold. And you take that and you gladly go buy that field. But you buy it with such confidence. You just walked away from everything. You just gave up everything because you were getting that field. And you know what's in that field. That treasure is in that field. And it's going to be so worth it. Jesus says, it's the kingdom of heaven. It's like treasure hidden, buried in a field. Someone finds it. Someone finds that treasure. Do you know anybody who's found treasure? If you do, like, I'd really like to know that story. Please tell it to me at some point, because they're really exciting to me. I, I, I love the ocean, um, but every time I'm in the ocean, there's always this part of me that's like, what are you going to find? Like, well, what if you find something? <laughs> like, and, and I don't know, like, there's this excitement to me of like, your, your sight is limited to the clarity of the water, but even on a really clear day, like, there's just, you can only see so far. And in my mind, there's always something so amazing that's just out of sight. It just keeps me swimming. I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, I read about a British brother and sister um, who tragically, mom and dad had passed away, and so it's going to be an estate sale. And so they're going through the, the home, and as they're cleaning everything out, they're in the attic, and they find a vase. I said it sophisticated for you today. Uh, we found this, it's a vase, and it's clearly Chinese, and there's a fish on it, and so uh, not something they want to keep, though. And so they're just like, what is, what's this worth? And so they go to a guy who's supposed to know these kinds of things, and this guy's like, that's awesome, because um, he dates it to the 18th century. It's a Chinese 18th century vase. Well, he knows the time of the emperor at the time, um, but there's also a seal on it. It says that seal is the seal of an imperial family. And so he's like, that little thing you just found in the attic of your parents, 
that thing is worth probably 500,000 to 700,000 euros. What? <laughs> like, we thought we were going to get, I don't know how much, I had to make up a number, like 200,000 euros for the whole home. And this little thing, 500,000 to 700,000 euros. That's amazing. And so you imagine their excitement, like, ooh, the treasure that we found. But then it goes to auction. And it does not sell for 500 to 700,000 euros. You know what it sells for? It sells for 16.2 million euros. You imagine going into your parents' attic, finding this vase, and saying, what's this? Looks like it's worth a lot. And then you go to auction, and you're like, what? 16.2 million euros. The treasure has been discovered. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's been hidden in a field, and somebody finds it. And when you find it, you sell everything you have, because forsaking all else, this is so worth it. There's no comparison. That's what it's like. And then he goes on, look at verse 45. Uh, sister parable. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Yeah, so a guy digging in a field, he doesn't quite know what he's looking for. Like he, he may be looking for something, but he doesn't know what he's going to discover there when he discovers it. He doesn't know that there's treasure to be found. And yet, now here's another parable that Jesus says also about something priceless. And it's this guy who sells fine pearls. Like, I don't know anything about the pearl industry, but I know that some are better than others. Um, the ones that you're going to get when you go to the local spring, they know what's in there. Like, it's not going to be anything all that great. But this guy knows fine pearls, and he's in search of one. He's in search of the best of the best. And one day, he finds a priceless pearl. If your business is pricing and selling pearls, and you find one that you would say is priceless, how much is that thing worth? Well, for him, it was worth everything. He sold everything so that he could buy that one priceless pearl. And Jesus says, such is the kingdom of heaven. That the kingdom of heaven is like this. He's using parables to teach again on the kingdom of heaven. And so remember, we've established the kingdom of heaven is where we see the rule and reign of the king. That you don't have a kingdom without a king. And so the rule and reign of God on display, and we have this tension of it's, it's here, and yet it's not fully here. It's here in us, Christian, that we live under the rule and reign of our king. And we watch as the kingdom has broke into this world, namely in the advent of Jesus Christ, the king, who came to establish his kingdom. And it's something that goes so much more than just our and our anthropological needs, our, our terrestrial, materialistic circumstances. It's more than that. He says, my kingdom is not of this world, and yet it will consume this world. It's breaking into this world. And so we live in that tension of the already not yet, that his kingdom is here in us. And we see it advance as we proclaim the gospel. We see God do things that only God can do in his kingdom. And so we pray like Jesus, your kingdom come here. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His kingdom coming where life and freedom and supreme worth are evident. But why? If Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this, it's priceless. Something that someone discovers, like treasure that is discovered. Why is it of supreme worth? Because Christ, who is our God and King, is of infinite worth. 
And he is present in his kingdom. What is it about the kingdom that makes it such a wondrous treasure? That the greatest treasure of all is to be found in the kingdom. And it is the king. That the treasure we find is Jesus. The treasure that is worth selling all else to acquire. The treasure that is worth walking away from everything else is Jesus. He is worth all of it. You have to see the worth of Christ, though. If you're going to be digging in that field and you stumble across this thing, you're like, well, I don't know how much it's worth. You're in mom and dad's attic. You're like, I don't know how much this thing is worth. How do you know what it's worth? He tells us and he shows us his worth. And this is the way that the early church would talk about this. This is in Colossians chapter 1. Um, Colossians chapter 1, this, this kind of song breaks out. And you start in verse 15, and this is about Jesus. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That God is spirit, and so you cannot see him. And yet God has become visible to us. He has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ, God the Son who took on human flesh so that we can actually look at him that he is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, you look no further than Jesus and you know exactly what he is like. That he is the image of God himself. The firstborn over all creation. And so you can get into some trouble there. Uh, You've probably had people knock on your door or if you're going down the trail, you have people set up with free Bible study signs and things like that, Um, namely Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. And I'll tell you, please be careful. That is not Orthodox Christianity. Um, There's a form of heresy that is at play in that called Arianism. And so they would say that Jesus is a created being, which is absolutely heretical. Jesus is not a created being. When it calls him the firstborn, that is not saying that he was the first to be born. This is a title and a position. Then the ancient Near East, to be the firstborn was to be of the greatest prominence. It is a status thing. That he is, as it says, over all creation. He is the firstborn over all creation. That is his status. And then if you don't understand that, if you're not quite convinced, continue reading. For everything was created by him. What was created by Jesus? Everything. Everything. And so just as John 1 opens and completely undoes this Arianistic thinking, Jesus is the one who created all things. And so he could not have created himself. He is creator God. Everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. You want to know the worth of Jesus? that he is the creator of the cosmos, that all things were created by him, through him, for him, that you exist, you take a breath in this very moment for Jesus Christ. And if it were not so, you would not be. That all things were created through him and for him. And yes, you can live in rebellion. You can live at odds with him. Because he is gracious and patient and not willing that anyone perish, but all would come to repentance. But you exist for him, the one who made you. That is why we exist. There is nothing and no one that could be of more worth than the one who created it all. He is creator. And then 17, it says, he is before all things and by him all things hold together. By him all things hold together. 
But as John would employ the Greek logos, this, this idea, there's, this, there's something that is holding everything together that it says explicitly here, Jesus is the one who is holding everything together. That if Jesus were not to exist or if Jesus were to turn his back and say, ah, no more, then everything would absolutely fall apart. That it would just go into utter chaos, which is actually kind of the picture throughout scriptures. The God from chaos brings about order. But our natural tendency in our rebellion and sin is to devolve back into chaos. And Jesus is the one holding it all together. He is also the head of the body, the church. That is us. That he is the head. Pastor Kevin, Pastor Scott, Pastor, any of us, we are not the head of this thing. Jesus is the head. Jesus is the head of his church. He gets to tell the rest of the body what to do. That it's determined in your head what your foot is going to do. You lose the head, you lose everything. He is the head of the body. He is the head. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, because he died and he rose back to life so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God was pleased, pleased, that God was pleased. He was happy to do this. The God of the cosmos who was invisible, spirit took on flesh. God the Son took on flesh. He dwelled, God dwelled in a man, the God-man Jesus Christ, so that he would die, but then he would be raised back to life, that Jesus died the death that you and I deserve because of our rebellion. The sinless one took on all of our sin, and he died. He died, and he paid the debt we could not pay. And he rose back to life, so that we too, because he was the first to be raised, the first, meaning there are more to come, namely us, that we too will be raised to everlasting life, that the resurrection power of Jesus is for us, that he was raised from the dead by the Spirit, the power of God, and we too will be raised back to life. And that resurrection power is actually in us now. He's alive and we will be called back from the dead so that he would have the first place in everything. That he is of supreme worth. And what did he do in doing all that? In dying, taking our debt that we could not pay, taking our shame on himself, eradicating the record of debt that stood against us so that we could be free, so that we could be forgiven, but not just free and forgiven, so that there would be peace, making peace through his blood shed on the cross, so that there would be peace. And peace with who? Like, namaste. Like, we're, we're, we're looking for nirvana if you're Buddhist. This idea of nirvana means, like, what's left when a flame is extinguished? You know what's left when a flame is extinguished? Nothing. And what a tragic state to live in. I think that, that, is, that is the ultimate goal. What drives me? What is it that I'm looking for? To be nothing. That's nonsense. It's a broken system. What we are longing for is to be reunited with God himself, the one we were created through him and for him. We want to be back with him. He is the greatest treasure. He is what we are longing for. But our sin had us in rebellion. It had us at enmity with God, that we stood opposed to him. And so when he died on the cross, he did not just say, now you're forgiven and you're free, but he says, you're mine. 
that there's now peace between us, that we are at peace with God, that we have not just like, oh, bad circumstances are gone, but it's actually a flourishing. The Hebrew shalom idea of peace, that it's not just, oh, we took away the bad stuff, but it's, it's so good. It's so right. That we are back with God. To be back with the one who is of supreme worth, the one who is worth all. We're back with him. There's peace between us because of his shed blood on the cross. Because Christ, our king, is the treasure. He's the treasure of the kingdom. We must treasure him. We must see his worth, see this gospel, that there's peace and reconciliation between God and man, that God has made a way for us to get back to God. Oh, see the worth of that. See the beauty of that, the grandeur of that. And no, ultimately it comes down to the treasure of the kingdom is the king. What are you looking for? Here's the thing. You are always going to make your decisions in accordance with what you value most. I don't want to open a can of worms here, but free will is really a misnomer. You, you are always, always bound to decide in accordance with what you value most. Every decision you make, even hard decisions, you're going to make that decision based on what you value, treasure, cherish, love most. You will always do that. And there's actually a beautiful freedom in that. But you're always bound to do that. And so we have to actually run through, what is it that I really cherish? What is it that I love most? What am I treasuring most? And I'm, I'm going to go that direction. And what is it? And will it satisfy? I'm convinced that nothing short of God himself is actually going to satisfy us. My life is a testament of that, that I chase after so many things. And like uh, the prophet Jeremiah, it's like these empty, broken cisterns. Like these things that are supposed to hold water in an arid desert where like, hey, when it rains, we got to collect that water because otherwise we're in trouble until you find the next well. And that might take a lot of time to dig down through all this rock. So collect the water. This cistern is supposed to hold water, but it's cracked. And just as fast as it falls in, it just seeps out and goes into the ground and becomes nothing. That's like us chasing after these idols. That we think that it's satisfying, so we think that it's filling us. And it's going out as fast as it comes in. What will truly satisfy? God. God will satisfy. The treasure of the kingdom is the king. And we have to see that. You have to see that he is worth your life. He is not worth an hour and a half on a Sunday morning where you begrudgingly come together and you're like, yeah, it wasn't so great today. Like the music was a little off. Kevin was really boring. And uh, you know how many people talk to me? Uh, yeah, those things, are, they matter. We want things to be done with undistracting excellence. But this is not it. This is not it. This is just an opportunity for us to come together and as much as I talk, you should be talking too and saying to each other, Jesus is worth it all. He's worth everything. My whole life that I found the treasure and it's worth selling everything so that I can just have that. He is worth it. Every single minute of your lifetime is worth Jesus. He is worth it. Like, I, I know I don't want to come off cliche as a pastor begging you, but you've got to break the compartmentalization and see that he is Lord over all. He is not Lord over this little bucket of your life where you get to say, it's convenient, I'll do it. He is Lord over all. He is worth everything. But you have to see it. Like, guilt will not get you there. 
It's not going to be enough for me to just say, this is what you should do, A, B, C, and then you'll get one, two, three. That's not going to do it. You can learn a ton of stuff, and that is not going to do it. You know what's going to do it? It's going to be you digging a hole in a field when you stumble across something. You open that thing up and radiating light and all that stuff, and you say, that's worth it. When you see that that's Jesus, and you realize that you actually don't have to go looking in a field because Jesus, the Son of God, came to seek and to save those who were lost. He came looking for you. When you see the beauty of that, a God who is perfect in every way did not need you. And he says, you rebellious, wretched thing that I created, I love you. I want to make you beautiful. I'm going to bring you back to myself. And it's going to cost me my life, but I'll gladly do it. If you see the beauty of a God like that, and you run home and you say, sell it all, because that's what I want. I'll forsake all so that I can just have him. You see the beauty, the worth of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. You find it, and man buries it runs back, sells everything he has so that he can have that field. He didn't want a field. He wanted that treasure. You don't want the kingdom of God. You want the king. And then you get the beauty of living in the kingdom of God. Jesus is the treasure. So three questions. If that is true, that I want to give you. Question one. Are you looking? Are you honestly looking? Both individuals were looking for something. We don't know what the guy digging was looking for, but he's looking for something. He may be looking for a benchmark of, guy hired me and said, dig 48 inches, so I'm looking for 48 inches and I'm out of here. Or maybe he was looking for, I don't, we don't know. He's looking for something. We don't know what it is. The merchant of fine pearls was clearly looking for fine pearls. Yet he found one of priceless worth. They're both looking for something. You too are looking for something. I am looking for something. We are looking for something, but we have to ask ourselves what we are really looking for. And that have you settled for something that does not actually satisfy? It's like those broken cisterns. The water just seeps right out of that. It's never going to satisfy you. Are you chasing idols? Are you chasing a number in your bank account? Are you chasing a relationship that you are so eager to be in? Are you chasing a status at work? What is it that you're chasing that you think, that's when all have arrived? And now you think back, how many times have you had that thing where you thought, once I get there, man, and then you got there, and it wasn't enough? Because the eye is never full. The ear is never full. It's more and more and more. What are you looking for and does it actually satisfy? And here's the thing. Hear me clearly on this. Perhaps it is not that we are never satisfied. Perhaps it's that we are too easily satisfied. Perhaps we actually settle. And it's not that our greatest tension is, oh, oh, I'm never satisfied. But it's that we have settled for mediocrity, for things that don't truly satisfy, and said, eh, that'll satisfy when you know it actually has not satisfied? Will we do the work to say, what really will satisfy me? Will I continue to chase after so many things or will I see that Jesus alone is actually going to fill this God-shaped hole in my heart, as Lewis said? 
that only God will fill this. Jesus said, seek and you will find. Ask and it will be given to you. So question one, are you looking? Are you looking? Question two, are you willing? Are you willing? This true treasure will cost everything else. Jesus said things like, uh, take up your cross, deny yourself daily. Take up your cross and follow me. What will it look like to follow the king? He says, hey, count the cost. It will cost you your life. Through suffering and hardship, you will enter the kingdom of heaven. Paul said it repeatedly. And the early church prayed all the more boldly. Thank God. <laughs> like in a moment where the room started shaking by the power of the Spirit. said, oh, that we would be considered worthy of suffering for your name? All the more. What if we were a church like that? Following Jesus, seeing him as the treasure that you can acquire will cost you your life. That does not mean we will all die martyrs. We live in a place that has wonderful freedom. But you will suffer. You will suffer for it. Are you willing? Are you willing to suffer to get this true treasure? You must repent. That means you must confess your sins. You must turn from your sin and turn to your Savior, to the one who is Lord. That becomes your confession. That we once said all these other things, we, we may not verbally say it, we may not explicitly make mention of it even in our heads, but what we're doing is making these functional saviors out of so many things our spouse, our, our items, our whatever it is. Like functionally, we turn them into these little saviors and they're constantly failing us. And yet we throw ourselves idolatrous little hearts chasing after them. Repent, turn from our sin. We must turn from our sin. As Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you want to come into the kingdom of heaven, it requires repentance. You must turn from your sin. You will not do that by white knuckling it though. You do that by seeing the beauty of Jesus. And again, you see the treasure that he is, and then you're white-knuckling these other things that you should not be holding on to, and you say, let go of that. I want that. And so you gladly walk away from all else because you get him. And so we repent. We confess he is Lord. We deny ourselves. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who died for all. Jesus is worth our lives. And the beauty of that, as Paul said in Ephesians 1, is that the immeasurable riches of heaven are ours in Christ. The immeasurable, you cannot count, you cannot put a number, you cannot quantify or qualify the riches of heaven. And he says, hey, that, that's yours in Jesus. Christian, he's saint. <laughs> like Paul talks about us and calls us saints. Do you think, I mean, you wake up in the morning and you look at yourself in the mirror hair disheveled, like teeth, taste like all, all of who you are. And you think, saint. Christian, you should. It is who you are. It is who God has made you. And you should live like it. He is worth everything. But I have to ask, are you willing? D.A. Carson says the kingdom of heaven is worth infinitely more than the cost of discipleship and those who know where the treasure lies joyfully abandon everything else to secure it. Are you willing? And now question three, last question. Are you treasuring what you found? 
Are you treasuring what you found? How do we treasure Christ? We trust him to be infinitely valuable. We see his worth, we believe him, we put our faith in him, and we live in light of who he is. We live in light of that. That everything we do for the Lord, we do out of treasuring him. That he is not a God who says, I begrudgingly want you to do this. Do it, like heavy-handed, like, ah. He disciplines those he loves, his children. But he empowers us by grace. And grace is this thing that we get when we don't deserve it. The, the, The definition of grace, like, It's undeserved favor and power. The God gives us grace when we don't deserve it. And in our weakness, his strength is perfected. His grace is sufficient. And he loves us. And he empowers us to do these things. And so I want to ask you, will you taste and see that the Lord is good? Like really do the work of what are you chasing after? What are you treasuring? What will satisfy you? See that God alone will do that. Taste and see Taste and see, like it's a real sensory experience, but you've got to slow down and do the work of actually seeing, savoring, delighting in him, treasuring him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And we'll say with the psalmist that he reveals the path of life to us. In God's presence is abundant joy. At his right hand are eternal pleasures. Eternal meaning there is no end to it. He's worth it. We delight in what we treasure. So enjoy. Enjoy the treasure that we have found. And as we enjoy something, we will naturally make much of that thing that we love and cherish and enjoy. And that is our call, church, to make much of Jesus to this entire planet. Because we want the glory of God to resound and cover this world as the waters cover the sea. That is the end game here, that every tribe in tongue will be at the throne of God saying, worthy, worthy, just screaming out praises to God. And it is our joy to do that. But we're not done because we have neighbors right here. Your neighbors actually like literally next door to you. They need to know about this treasure. That it's not a treasure that you find and you walk away and selfishly think, oh, I've got to to get that because it's mine. You say, there's more than enough. It's infinite. The whole world can know about this. Come on, guys, look at what we have here. Tell them about the treasure you found. Tell them all. Treasure. Are you treasuring what you found? It's the treasure of the kingdom is the king. And he's not far. He's not far. I know he's not far because I have found him. And I have found him because he actually came to seek and to save me. And he came for you too. You can be found today. In churchy language, you may be lost. You may be actually on your way to hell right now. Because that's what we are all deserving of. There is a consequence for our rebellion. There are just consequences, namely death. What we deserve for our sin is death. To be not just physically dead, but also spiritually dead. To be separated from God who is life forever. But the offer of this treasure that you can find today that you can have life everlasting, that you can be brought back into peace, to be reconciled to God. And that is his pleasure to do that, that he wanted to die for you, and he did. And it was a joy for him to do that because he loves you. Look at me. It's a real invitation right now that if you don't know Jesus, you can step into a relationship with him. 
that you can be forgiven and free. You can know that you have life everlasting with the God of the cosmos, that he actually sings and dances delighting over us. There's a God who loves us like that. Do you want that treasure? And turn from your sin and confess you're a sinner and confess he is Lord. Believe in your heart that he, Jesus, died, but he rose again. Promise of scriptures, you will be saved. That can happen right now. I'm going to ask you to do that. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know what it is to follow him, and this is all foreign to you, this is an invitation right now to put your trust in the God who says, don't put your trust anywhere else. It will fail you, but I never will. He loves you, and he has made a way. His name is Jesus. Will you believe this good news? Believe it. And come talk to me afterward. And we will baptize you as a way of celebrating that you have life with Jesus Christ. And we will disciple you. We will tell you the way of Jesus. And we will walk in that way with you. And you will know that you belong and you can be known and you are loved. And the only reason any of us get to enjoy that is because of the gospel, the good news that God has done that for us. So if you believe it, will you share it? I'm going to close with a prayer from Augustine of Hippo. It says, All shall be amen and alleluia. We shall rest and we shall see. We shall see and we shall know. We shall know and we shall love. We shall love and we shall praise. Behold our end, which is no end. Pray with me. Lord, you are so good. You are the treasure, Jesus. You are the one that we are all looking for. If we would be honest with ourselves. And so knowing that in our natural state, we push against you. Your scripture says no one seeks you. We confess that is true. But we also thank you. We praise you greatly because you didn't leave us in that. That when we would not naturally seek you, you sought us. You have come, and your salvation is great. It belongs to you. And so would you bring it today to this house, in this place? Would you save people? Would you wake up sleepers? Would you open blind eyes to see? Would you give deaf ears the ability to hear this gospel, this good news, that there is salvation that is offered through you? We rejoice in you. We praise you. We love you you are worth everything. So let us be like this man that you talked about, Jesus, who would find a treasure and then forsake and sell all else so that we could just have that because, Jesus, you are the treasure. Let's be like this merchant of fine pearls, that we would be people seeking after the right thing, but even if we didn't know what the right thing was, as you promised, Jesus, if we seek, we will find. You're not far. So be with this church. Bless it. Make us obedient to your word, to listen, to submit to you and your spirit. It's in the name of Jesus.